0: Pod, 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 pod. Rugby
1: pod.
0: Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan, Big Jim and Goodyear with me as usual. We'll be looking back at a hell of a weekend of away wins yeah, in will. the opening round of the Guinness Six Nations. <laughs> then we'll take a look ahead to a mouth-watering set of games in round two. Plus, we're having a chat with Scottish Calcutta Cup hero Sione Tupilotu. So settle back, enjoy, and make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. How are you, mate? Where have you
2: been?
3: Mate, I've not heard of you. I've been calling you. I've been texting you. Where have you been? It's been a tough week. I'm not going to lie. And it started, we had great fun in Dublin, two nights in Dublin, 300 pints of Guinness, silly amounts of food. And then get back to London, dinner in London on Thursday night. We had the live show on Friday at the O2. All amazing. And then Saturday, the build up to the game. Amazing. 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 Up until the 76th minute or whatever it was when Duan Vuk Mandamerva scores his worldie of a second try, I think depression must have kicked in at the final whistle. And we've lost the Calcutta Cup again. I'm blaming it on all the alcohol. And I'm down, boys. I ain't going to lie. I am down. I am not happy. Is that why you've not answered any of my calls? You've not even replied. You tried to send me a voice
2: message on WhatsApp because that's the way that I communicate. And it came through and it was just... 30 seconds of like
3: just a one line. There was no heartbeat. It was just a line. <laughs> I've got no heart left, mate, because I'm devastated. No, I spent Sunday, James, with the family. I'd hardly seen them. And reality kicked in. I drank too much last week. England lost. And I just love my children. <laughs>
2: just on that, not on the fact that you love your children or you don't love your children, just saying that you drank too much. When we were in Dublin on the Wednesday, so we had a live show Tuesday, we had Rob Carney there, and I don't know if you've seen the video of him going round, doing the rounds on Twitter, it looks like he's got Bolivian flu or something, because he was (laughs) all over the place, Um, all over the place, on TV, but he was there on Tuesday night, we had a great night, and we can kind of speed through the archives, Wednesday morning, me and Goody go for a walk around Dublin, I say morning, it was probably the afternoon, and Goody's still in his pyjamas. He's wearing jobby catches, which for the English fans of used out there, a pair of jobby catches are jogging bottoms, right? Literally hanging down by the back of his legs. And he looks at me and I look at him and we're absolutely hanging. And he's like, do I look sunburnt?" I said, yeah, you do. I said, you actually do. I said, why are you so red? We couldn't work it out because Dublin's got the same weather as Scotland, right? I mean, and we're in the middle of winter and he's red as anything. We dug through to try and find out what it was. But it turns out it was high blood pressure. So that was on the Tuesday night. That was Tuesday night into the Wednesday. So could you imagine what it looked like come Saturday night? Hell of a week.
3: Yeah, I dread to think of the calories that I've had this week. But I'll tell you what I can't wait for. This week, Wednesday, going to Edinburgh after you've won the Calcutta Cup. Like the depression in my voice as well. I'm just going to get hounded and buried by about 1,500 Scots. Why? Why are you? Well, because you've won the Calcutta Cup and I'm English. No,
2: you. mate. It's, no, it's like beating Italy now. It's not a big deal to the Scots. <laughs> up here on Wednesday, yeah, we've won the Calcutta Cup again, but genuinely, we've beaten Romania, we've beaten Georgias, and that's the level that it's at now. Bigger
3: fish, eh? Bigger fish
2: to fry. Much bigger. I don't think there'll be much hysteria when you come up to Edinburgh on Wednesday, but that's going to be class. That's for sure.
0: Well, we have two more live shows this week, one in Edinburgh on Wednesday, which is going to be massive. Dennis, I'm spot not with- going you're not going? Not going. No, I'm not going. Well, we've got a Spotify live show in London on Thursday with Jack I. will go Null. to that one. I'll see you there. I'll see you there. <laughs> then we're in Cardiff on the 23rd with Ross Moriarty. And then in March, we're in Belfast and back to Dublin again, lads. I'm not going. I ain't going to Dublin. I ain't going to Dublin. I'll tell you now. Ask me in a week or two.
3: Yeah, I love Dublin, but after last week, I'm not going.
0: For a full (laughs) list of dates and ticket details, just go to therugbypod.com. And we are looking for an Edinburgh-based videographer to come along to the live show on Wednesday. So if you're keen, drop us a note on social media. And if you're keen to ask the lads some questions at the live show, send it through on social media or our website beforehand, and then we'll get in touch. Check out all the dates and the ticket links on our homepage, therugbypod.com. Well, Scottish fans made it feel like a home game at Twickenham, didn't they? Yeah, we did.
2: Let me get through it, and then Goody can start making excuses about how the ten-twelve 12 axis doesn't work, <laughs> uh, about the balance of the bat row isn't quite right. It was the first game, you know, they're warming into it. I'll talk about the atmosphere, because I was there. I don't know how, but I was there with ITV.
3: And first thing I'll ask then, Jim, before as you get into it, we did the live show on Friday night. I said to you and John Barkley... Scotland the favourites, lads. Scotland the favourites. No, we're not. No, we're not. No, no, no. Denial. And now look at you, all full of full of balls and full of air. The hot air's coming, isn't it, Jim? Come on, let's have it.
2: Well, all I know is that England were ahead in the world rankings. They were ahead. They were. They were at home. New coach. You know, British Irish lions galore littered around. Sir Kevin Sinfield, Steve Borthwick. Just want to get better. Like everything was there for England to take it, but no. <laughs> But no, and when I was in the stadium at Twickenham, back to Andy Rowe's question, the energy, it was I wasn't I wasn't scared. Am I bothered? I wasn't scared. I knew we were in for a phenomenal game. And just on that point there, you know, this whole thing around making the stadiums like this interactive experience, for large parts it was unbelievable. There was a DJ playing before at halftime, there was a light show, there was fireworks, the hysteria before the game. The build-up was wicked until there was a fifty metre running and then that noise and stuff, just the energy just kind of left the stadium, really. And all you could hear was bagpipes and kilts being lifted up and skin doos being flung around and <laughs> sporens <laughs> wrapped round heads. But no, atmosphere was great. I was there two years ago during COVID when Scotland beat England and there was no one in the, in the stadium. It was a really, really weird feeling. And with everything that's going on in rugby now, we've spoken about loads of it, the demise of wasps, the demise of Worcester, the finances in the game, the concussion, world rugby and RFU, tackle law changes, blah, 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 blah. all this crap that's going on. The Six Nations is just this... I'm not even going to say it masks or papers over the cracks. It's massive. It's huge. The Six Nations and the energy and the emotion, the romance around it is wicked. And that is why I love rugby still to this day. And I think if anyone... Was struggling with the game, just watch the games at the weekend and you'll fall
3: back in love with it or fall in love with it. The Scots, you could hear them. and Maybe it was the, the Sporans flapping and the nutsacks underneath the kilts that were slapping around in the air. But fair play, the Scots came dune. They came, they saw, they conquered, eh, Jim? Yes, we did. We.
0: How did they do that to England in attack when they spent so much time on defence? They
3: took their opportunities. I think, to be fair to Scotland, they probably had even more opportunities that they didn't convert. England, you can talk about the 10-12 axis doesn't work, and I, I still massively believe it doesn't work. Uh, and I'll get onto that in a bit why. But you've got to just credit Scotland the way they played. You know they soaked up enough of England's possession. They defended heroically, and ultimately they looked fitter, I think, than the English team. And I go back to that last try. Richie Gray is hands on the edge when Max Malins, Sir Clive Woodward, his name is Max Malins, not Max Malins, flies in to try and cut the move then you know Richie Gray puts a beautiful little pass into Ferguson, who then puts Dan van der Merwe away and, and you look at some of the England boys and they were slow Dan Cole's been on there 14 minutes and he was literally walking Nick Azikway same thing credit to the Scots it was an enthralling game and, and there's not any excuses really from England except the 10-12 combo doesn't work you have to sit there and look at Finn Russell look at how they just found edges at times they were clinical so you, you talk about three of the four tries that they scored.
2: Oh yeah, bonus point. I forgot, I failed to mention that. Sorry, yeah.
3: it was a bonus point. <laughs> it was a bonus point. So you talk about the first try, first phase move off the top of the line, out over the top. They suck Farrell out the line. Hugh Jones goes straight through a big hole. Then Tupolotu puts you know a lovely kick in after a couple of phases to score. Brilliant play. The second try that they score was just doing van der Merwe doing things that very few people, if anyone else in world rugby, could probably do an absolute worldy of a try. So that was good enough to win any game of rugby, that individual bit of brilliance. Again, it goes through Owen Farrell and Joe Marchant. Owen Farrell at 12, he's not used to defending there. The third try, obviously, Ben White was a little snipe. We kind of dropped the kickoff, didn't we? And then it comes from that, it's a bounce ball. So opportunism. But the fourth try, you watch that try to win a game of rugby to see where they played from. And with the accuracy, the attacking layers on there, the handling, the ball out of contact, Blair Kinghorn's little offload as well. Then they get to an edge and then they have the ability, doesn't matter who's touching the ball, they're all in control. It ends up with Richie Gray, quick catch pass to Matt Vegas and then Duan van der Merwe, who's got a, still a silly amount of work to do to score the try. You can't fault Scotland's ability to convert what they needed to when they needed to and they were the better team at doing that. It was a brilliant performance by Scotland. There isn't too much to moan about from an England fan in terms of our performance except for lack of creativity at 10, 12 at times. But let's make this all about Scotland because they were brilliant. I think to a man, you know, Jim was sort of saying before, you know, Duan van der Merwe's not really played very much. He's been on holiday. Hoggy's not really played very much. He's been injured. There was loads of excuses coming out, but I think secretly, James, you knew that they were all going to come good on the day and they certainly did.
2: Well, with Duan, I didn't want to say because I wasn't sure having been out for seven, eight weeks and then got married in South Africa. But... He's a phenomenon. Mate, he's got three legs. Yeah. He's got three <laughs> legs. There's not There's not many. And well, we'll Sioni, he might share it with us, but he's got three legs. So he's different to any other human. But for me, I tried to give a snapshot last weekend because the casual listeners or the England fans potentially wouldn't know how good Scotland are. Like, Sioni Tupolotu... Is a top-class player. He's got the ability to be world-class. Hugh Jones at the highest level against England as well. is brilliant. Carl Stein, who's captain of the Glasgow Warriors, scored four tries against Tonga. I know it's only Tonga, but, mate, he's a, he's a proven performer. And then you add into the mix that he picked Ben White, who we thought might have been the case. We wasn't sure whether he'd go back to Ali Price. Ben White was the right call. He's banging form. I thought he was brilliant as well. You spoke about Richie Gray, Grant Gilchrist top-class player. I was bigging up Luke Crosby before the game. I hardly saw him, really. Matt Fagason made 27, 28 tackles or something ridiculous. To a man, they were phenomenal. George Turner. Look, I need to give these people the platform. George Turner, hooker, people be like, who? His darts to throw over the tail of the line at, the innovation that they had in attack, their ability to want to play, the physicality, the confidence. I actually thought England played quite well. Physically, they were there. Tactically, they. you could see what they wanted to do. They wanted to Pin Scotland back, pin Scotland back. They were worried about the breakdown. The one time that England ran the ball was when Oli Hassel Collins got the ball. You could see he didn't want to kick. The crowd were like yearning him to run, so he runs. First time he runs, he gets turned over. Hoggy turns him over. His natural instinct
3: is to run, mm. but because we were kicking so much, he didn't run flat out. No. He was like, oh shit, you know, should I, should I? And then that indecision creates opportunity for Hoggy to make the turnover.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But Scotland were brilliant. Like they, they deserved to win. They didn't let the win unfold that they they went for it. Like Blair Kinghorn in Coffin Corner comes on at 15, which I think is his position. I've said it. We, we've said it on Air good, haven't we? We've we spoke about it. He's a bat three player. He's not a 10. Very good. He can play 10. He looked wicked. Athletic, powerful, hungry. His awareness to look for the offloads and look for space. George Horn, when he came on. And actually, maybe I did downplay it a bit last week because we've got some quality players. Glasgow Warriors have been carving up. Edinburgh have been very, very good. And that was one of the most complete performances I've seen in a long time, yet there's so much more that I think the Scotland team have, which is, this is crazy to say it.
0: Right, but can we beat Wales? We'll come on to that, <laughs> <for sure. laughs> What are the expectations now? What are you expecting out of this tournament and the World Cup?
3: You'll know more, but you should be two from two this weekend, right? And the Grand Slam is on. Yes, well, I think, you
2: know, Wales are a bogey team for us, but I genuinely think, and again, watching the Wales game, I don't think the scoreline reflect actually what Wales did, Ireland, again, go back to the point I made, unplayable, I think we're 12 points better than Wales. Here we go. I genuinely do. And we've got to have the confidence, and the lads have to have the confidence to believe in that. The difference was, and I thought it would be the case if we beat England at the weekend, was all the other times we've won, the two times before, we've celebrated like it's the biggest thing that's happened. We celebrated like we've won the Grand Slam. And we saw years ago with Brig Laidlaw with his tyre on his head and Hoggy and Finn. And they're, they're out absolutely smash steaming because it's everything winning the Calcutta Cup.
3: But they used to look at you playing, you could never win it, could you personally? So no, hey, don't, don't go back through the archives. <laughs> I've
2: set the foundations. I put the foundations in place like Sergio Parisse has done for Italy. That was me for Scotland. And I look at what they did at the weekend and I was looking at the celebrations and it was different. It, it felt different. It looked different. And. I know we'll get into the Wales game, but I think we are twelve points better, and we need to have the confidence to say that and confidence when they rock up that we we're like we're better than you and we're gonna prove it today and we're gonna be two from two going into the fallow week. And like Andy Rose said, where are we? Grand Slam champs. No <laughs> I think if we finish second or third,
0: that is that's been a brilliant six Nations for us because I think the Ireland are that good. Goody, have you ever seen Jim so optimistic about Scotland's potential? Borderline arrogance.
3: Yeah, so arrogant, Jim, aren't you? Just because you've won the Calcutta Cup three times. How many times did you win it, Jim? I
2: think I was a part of a team that won it once, but I didn't play because I broke my leg the <laughs> game before. So I put my body on the line.
3: Aye. Uh, yeah. No, no, true. Against no.
2: Ireland. Got stretched off. So the story is against Ireland. Sacked them all to the cow sheds and back. So I've just come back from injury. Donico Callahan's pinning me down the floor. I'm trying to get, get off him. As I try and get off him, the more lands on me foot. My foot snaps the wrong way. I get up and try and play, and James Robson's like, "Look, mate, your foot's pointing the wrong way. You can't. Don't do it." I was like, "I have to. Freedom, freedom." And he's like, "No." And then Scotland beat England in the pissing wet rain. I think it was two thousand nine, two thousand
3: ten. Either way, personally, you've not beaten them, but there is so much arrogance coming out of Jim today.
2: There's no arrogance. I'm hitting you with how It was. If you didn't kick the ball so much, you might have won.
3: Saying the Calcutta Cup isn't, it's no biggie, is it? It's no biggie anymore. Well, it's not, is it? We've won it three years in a row. It's like... <laughs> I know. I'm, yeah. I'm joking. <laughs> Every year he says it, this is our year, this is our year. They beat England, as they have done, and then it goes down the drain. This week's game against Wales is pivotal for him in terms of where you know the rest of the tournament goes. Everything that Jim said on the pod over the last few weeks about the Scottish players, it came to fruition in terms of the quality against England. Where are they? They've still got a horrible World Cup group, but they can do damage in the Six Nations.
2: Can I just ask you about England, Andrew? Because one thing I looked at with that team afterwards, and a couple of question marks before that I probably didn't flag last week, we both agreed, I think a lot of people agree, and this guy who was sat next to me and Martin Bayfield pitch side who was screaming at the steward, talking about the Farrell-Marcus-Smith axis, I think we can all agree it doesn't really work. I think as well, and I feel horrible saying this because we've had him on before, he's a young lad. I'm not too sure that... Van poorfleet is the answer at nine, and I didn't feel the balance of the back row for England as good as them three players are is the balance going forward
3: We're on a journey and we're just you know we've got to get better next week and um, you know we're excited to get back in front of fans. that's the noises that are coming out of it but let's start with the 10 12 axis I've said it a million times doesn't work when Farrell is at 10 at first receiver he looks great and there were moments in the game when I thought he looked great as a 10 going to the line he's got options. The thing is, when he's there, Marcus Smith looks a bit lost and he's like, "Oh, oh, do I go and get in there? Do I not? And it was very similar for when Marcus Smith was stepping up at 10. He's looking for the runners outside him. There's no option of a 12 to play out the back sometimes because Farrell's half lost. The amount of times that one or both of them were behind the rock and lost in our attack, it just means that you're attacking with 14 players. He's made it hard for himself by picking that combo in the first game. If he picks that combo this week and we go better and play well against Italy then he probably sticks with it. That then leads into Wales away and then the big two in the last two games of the Six Nations, France at home and and Ireland away. But you're not learning anything. I think you've got to now, if you're Steve Borthwick, and I've written a column about it for Rugby Pass, sack off the 10-12 relationship between Marcus Smith and Owen Farrell, play Owen Farrell in his best position at 10, put Marcus Smith on the bench to bring him on later in the game when it hopefully breaks up and play to his strengths. Steve Borthwick's talked a lot about he wants the players to play to their strengths. They're great players and what's got them here. You're not doing that with Owen Farrell by putting him in that 12 shirt. There was defensive errors. There was He looks half the player he is when he's at 12 as to when he's at 10. So yeah, let's go to Van Portfleet. He's had a tough start to his international career. You can rewind the clock back to Australia. He had a massive impact when he came on in those games and did exceptionally well in the summer. He's a youngster. He needs to be given repetitive games. So uh, the options at the minute are bring back Ben Young's we're not really going to learn much about that if we're doing that, are we? Or bring in Alex Mitchell. Personally, this week, and it's nothing against Ben Young's, so I'd go Van Portfleet to start again and I'd have Mitchell on the bench. You've got to just back him because if you chuck him out now, you're going to bring someone else in with no experience, i.e. Mitchell or you know, Rafi Quirk's coming back into fitness again. Do you go back to Danny Kerr? You can do that later on if you need to, right? if there's an injury. So I think you've got to back Van Portfleet. The back row, I understand where you come from. I thought Don Brandt, He left his hands in the change room in that first half. It
2: was mixed, weren't he? He did did some brilliant stuff, but then he did some really poor stuff. He
3: cut a brilliant line start the second half, but he dropped a few in the first half. So they were just individual errors. And the messages they are coming out with, we're on a journey, it's a new process, we've only trained for 10 days, and I get that. But there's probably a lot of, a big hangover about how Eddie Jones treated players and the intensity of changing from an Eddie Jones camp to now... Learning about Steve Borthwick and Sir Kevin Sinfield. So there is going to be, you know, a tough road ahead. Borthers has come out and he's very intelligent around how he sort of describes the narrative. And he's gone for well, we weren't very good at anything under Eddie Jones when I looked at all the data, and now we've got to improve it, X, Y, and Z. It was the same narrative he had when he started at Leicester Tigers. So we're going to see incremental improvements. The one thing that, Jim, you said you were like, the only thing I would fear is Sir Kevin Sinfield's defence because you'd run through a brick wall for that, man. And our defence was poor, wasn't it? And it started with Owen Farrell going after Finn Russell. That short line when Hugh Jones cuts it off Finn Russell, that's just Farrell just playing out of position, not used to playing 12 and thinking they probably put too much focus on trying to go for Finn, which... Opened up a few holes and, you know, it was certainly the issue leading to that first try for Hugh Jones.
0: Did you guys see Finn running after Farrell after that DeJuan Bundermover try?
2: Oh, yes. Yes. Top shit of he, wasn't it? Let's be <laughs> honest. Yeah, it was.
3: Faz tickled his ribs the phase before, didn't he, when Finn was sort of going across the field looking for a, a runner to come off him and then Faz obviously spotted the man, boom, went and hit him. Perfectly legal tackle. There was something else that was said, I think by Ben Curry on the floor, because you see Finn Russell get up and, have a little point at Ben Curry. Obviously, then the kick goes long. Duran van der Merwe scores a try and Finn's just running after Owen Farrell, gives him a shoulder. Top class. If you watch Jamie Vardy when he scored a load of goals back in the day for Leicester, that's proper shithousery when he was celebrating. Finn Russell is up there going after Owen Farrell and giving him a bit of shoulder. A few words. Because that's the sort of thing Faz does as well.
2: It is. And I spoke to Finn about it and he said that the reason he did it, he thought Faz was shouting at him after he made the hit because he said it was a decent shot. But it turns out it was Marcus Smith Van Poffley, and he said Ben Curry was giving him a load of shit. So when that was happening, he was just shouting in his ear. He didn't realize <laughs> that it wasn't him until after the game. But hey, you got two competitors and Finn Russell, the Maverick
3: brother. So that's why Faz should be playing ten. You want to go heads up, go opposite Scotland's main man, and Faz is half the player as a twelve. He is as a ten. So time to bin it off.
0: We've talked about putting Farrell back at ten. What changes? In selection, do you see Borthwick making this weekend? Ben I'll start. It has
2: to. I thought Oli Chesham was England's standout player. I thought Marrow was one of the poorest games I've seen him have. I couldn't believe how quiet he was. Apart from that, I don't think we'll see wholesale changes. Is one, guilty? I don't think it'll happen. But Because Marcus Smith's so good... Could you see him ever doing the whole All Blacks thing with Bowden Barrett and Richie no. Mwanga? And ha- no. no, me neither. No, what idiot would even think that? <laughs> A Scotsman who's just won the Calcutta Cup would think that. He
0: did make 112 metres, which is the second best in the comp behind Capuzzo. Thanks to producer Rob for firing me through that set.
3: Put him at 15, put Freddie out to left wing. No, you can't play Marcus Smith out of position at 15. But you say that, Goody,
2: because say a Faz Wright wants to carry on playing until he's 40, like Sexton, and he's the captain, and he's as important to England. Say it works at 10 for him, so say Faz goes back to 10 and it changes everything for England. You've got Marcus Smith, similar to the Ireland situation, where there is no one else as Sexton and then Ross Byrne will come in or a Carberry or Harry Byrne or whoever it is. What does Marcus Smith do then? Sits on the bench. You're horrible, mate. What, forever?
3: (laughs) No, not forever. Forever? No, not forever. But this is the thing. You have to back someone at 10. The indecision comes in any team when you've played with with, with teams that have been successful and, and have been less successful. Everyone always knows who the 10 is and who's the dominant voice as a 10. Look at Scotland Finn. You know, France, it's always Untermach, but then they know they've got Jalibar to come on if you need to change things, right? And people are talking about, oh, should Jalibar now start instead of Untermach because he did really well when he came on? That's what Jalibar does. If Marcus Smith has to play that role because Farrell's so important as a 10 and as a captain, then that's the role he has to play coming off the bench when we need to change things. Or he's boxed himself into a corner by making own Farrell captain. And at some point, if Faz isn't performing as a 10 and you've got a world-class option there in Marcus Smith, You can also drop Owen Farrell. But right now, Owen Farrell has played brilliantly at 10 for Saracens. He looked really good when he was in that first receiver position for England. And, you know, we looked a decent attacking outfit at times, but we didn't look great when no one was sure who was going in there. And always, when one of them was not at 10, a lot of the time the other one was lost uh, and and understanding what to do. So Nick Evans talks about clarity of role. They haven't got it. So I think bring Manu back in to play in the centre – with Ollie Lawrence or Joe Marchant, or play Ollie Lawrence and Joe Marchant together, but let's get two centres in the centre position where we can have players in motion, attacking threats. We know who the boss is at 10, whether that's Farrell, which it should be, or Smith coming off the bench, at least we know.
2: Yeehoo! England are all over the place. <laughs> <laughs>
3: all, uh, all over the place. But it's a definition of madness, right? If you always do the same thing and expect different results, that is a definition of madness. So, Steve Borthwick is following on from what Eddie Jones was trying to do, which wasn't working. So make a big decision, Borthers.
2: I love that analogy of definition of madness. That's why I stopped drinking at midnight on Wednesday and you carried on till four <laughs> in the morning. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Something had to change.
0: <laughs> well, there was complete clarity with the Scotland 10-12 access on the weekend, and we can have a chat now with one of Scotland's Calcutta Cup heroes, Sintesiano Ciano Tupoloto joins us. How are you,
1: mate? Yeah, good, good, mate. Um, just chilling, just chilling at camp.
2: Sione, I bet you are, mate. Happy man, I'm sure. And I can ask this now because we, you guys, won and retained the Calcutta Cup. That first collision on Freddie Stewart, how are you feeling after that? Was that a bit of a shock <laughs> to the system of the Calcutta Cup? <laughs> if we'd lost, I wouldn't bring it up, but I can now because you were world-class in that game. So I'm happy to talk about it.
1: I was a bit shaky, to be honest. And I was I think I was more dreading checking my phone after because my old man would have messaged me about it um but i got over that hurdle thankfully he was um he just said i put my head down too early and (laughs) it looked funny on tv (laughs) (laughs) i saw freddie at the after match function i went straight up to him and um and i said a few words to him (laughs) i told him to f off to be honest (laughs) 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 he's a good man he's a big man as well isn't he he's huge I, 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 i never played him before but um no, he's massive, mate, and I got all of him um, on that collision. I love the yeah. way
3: like, you've just won the Calcutta Cup again, and Jim Hamilton, the self-proclaimed Scottish legend, the first thing he brings up is an Englishman running over a... <laughs> a Scotsman, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm trying to find more positives from England. I can't, mate. Amazing game. You boys thoroughly deserve the win. Obviously, you know, Duane gets a load of applaudits for, for the tries, but just talk us through the emotion because it was an unbelievable occasion, even as an Englishman, a proud Englishman watching it. You seem to have more fans there than us. That's what's killing me, I think.
1: It was hard to explain, to be honest. I think um when we are in it, and then when the final whistle blow, it was hard to ex- explain the emotions and stuff, and with all the boys, you know, celebrating with the bench and stuff like that, but... Yeah, I suppose it's kind of weird. We, we flew straight back after the game and, you know, kind of wake up and we're on to, you know, the next week type of thing. So I know that's a big focus for us this week is we're, we're super stoked with what happened. And, you know, obviously winning over there at Twickenham with 80,000 people there was, was amazing. But um, now we're on to this week and, yeah, we're just really keen to, you know, back it up.
2: Just for you, Sione, and I say this because you didn't grow up in Scotland or England to know about the history of the Calcutta Cup match. And I have to bring this up because a few things have been brought up about Duane, the way that he played the weekend, always South African. I don't even want to get into that now because you look at the other teams, right, and some of the players they've got. You lads are now fully fledged Scots. If people don't believe that after the weekend, all the Scotland fans do the English fans will be hating it because they're they're the ones that are saying it. But from your perspective, having grown up in a different country and maybe watched it from afar, what was the experience like?
1: Mate, like my first experience of it last year when I came off the bench, it's just there's a little bit of a different feeling in the air when you're playing England. And, you know, obviously I never knew anything about that when I was growing up in Australia. And even Six Nations, I struggle to explain to people back home how big this competition really is, you know? Like we grew up with, you know, the Bledisloe and, you know, the Rugby Championship as it is now, but when I rocked up to the field last year, when we played England at home at Murrayfield in the, that Calcutta Cup game, I just kind of felt like it was a little bit different, you know, like there was a little bit, I don't know if it's animosity or um, there's just a little bit something different about that that fixture, which is cool to play in, you know, and you want to be part of those games. And and yeah, thankfully we came away with the prize at the end.
3: One of the things that Gregor said actually about previous games is he's put too much emotion into it about the the Scottish-English rivalry and you know they talk about playing Braveheart I'm sure players like Finn and Hoggy who are Scottish to the cowsheds sheds and back you know they're trying to play on that emotion a bit how, how do you get involved in it do you, do you watch Braveheart do you put your kilt on have you got anything like that Scottish yet <laughs> or not
1: I think you just get caught up in it naturally to be honest and You know, I've told people about this before, I think when I was involved last year, I kind of look at players like, I know he's not here at the moment, but guys like Darcy and stuff like that, who really leave on their shield type of thing, you know, and I know that's what it means to play for Scotland and, you know, I've been around the group for long enough and, you know, I know I didn't grow up here and I don't expect anyone to think that I've grown up here, you know, you only have to hear me speak for 10 seconds to know that I didn't, but for me personally, it's not really what anyone else thinks from the outside if I'm Scottish or not. It's more about who I'm representing and that's for me and my grandma. So, you know, I don't really take into account anything from the outside. I kind of just think of it in my way as i got an opportunity to represent my grandma and I'm going to try and win. So that's just how I think about it.
2: And absolutely, it's all about filling the jersey as well. I remember Vern Cotter spoke about borrowing the jersey. And there's all these different analogies, isn't there, about how you represent your country. It's an international game now. It's a modern game. And I think for anyone who watched that game at the weekend to a man, Cannot question anyone's desire to play for Scotland. Like for me, it was one of the most complete performances, uh, not just defensively, but from an attacking standpoint. You know, having been in and out of the squad and played all over the world, just... The amount of work that goes into that attacking shape, people think it's easy. I said, I showed Beck, my wife. I said to her, like, look at this attack. She's like, oh, well, shouldn't everyone be able to offload? And I was showing her some of the island clips. Shouldn't everyone be able to do that? I said, you watch me for ten years. Did you ever see me do that at all? <laughs> but this modern style of play, Sioni, where that has that come from? I know it's kind of been brewing in the background.
1: Yeah, I think I think the coaches here push it. To be honest, you know, like Greg has been pushing that for years now, and you know, the inclusion of Pete and obviously Brad, who's come over. You know, to be honest, we just got out of review before and. Gregor thought we should have played more. He thought there was more opportunities out there and he was disappointed that we didn't go and take the, you know, the opportunities that we left out there. And I think that's the, a good way of looking at it, to be honest. And I think this weekend there'll be more opportunities than there were, you know, you no know, last weekend. I think we've got an opportunity to put, you know, a better performance out there, to be honest.
3: Yeah, 100%. Now, a load of chat pre-match about the 10-12 combo that you're going to play against. But I just want to focus on you and Finn Russell. Obviously, you're at Glasgow, he's at Racing, but you've been involved in the, in the camps together for a while. How much fun is it to play outside him and is it literally you just got to react to what he does because he is an absolute maverick and I mean that in a positive sense. He'll just pull rabbits out of the hat, he'll be chucking balls anywhere. It just looks like so much fun, right?
1: Yeah, mate, it is. It's it's a lot of fun and it's, it makes your job a lot easier when you've got Finn inside you. But yeah, I, th- I think the big misconception about Finn is that he is a maverick, to be honest. And I've seen him put in a lot of work and I put in a lot of work with him in analysis this week. And, you know, I think that the misconception about him is that he just rocks up to the game and does whatever he wants. I think he's one of the most diligent players that I've ever played with, to be honest. Um, in terms of the detail and what we're trying to achieve on the weekend and how we can get others involved. And, you know, I like that side of the game and, you know, when I'm going into a game and I know we've put in the work where it's analysis or training or, you know, how we're gonna break down the other team. When I know we've done that throughout the week, which we did, you know, last week, you go into the game pretty confident and I suppose you just want to try and replicate that for every week and um, start again every week, you know, this tournament.
2: Yeah, we've gone round the houses on in terms of some of the big performances for Scotland, and to a man it was everyone. But for the casual fans, people want to hear about Duan van der merver because what he did at the weekend, not just for that wonder try, but the one to win the game, Yeah, there's not many players that could do that. They were two of the best finishes I think I've seen, from, from a Scotland player. What's he like and what's he like to work with and how has he taken – to all the drama and hype around them?
1: Uh, it's quite funny, to be honest, because I was teasing him about, um, you know, not playing for Edinburgh for the past eight weeks. And, you know, obviously <laughs> he's on a big pay packet. And I was like, you got to go earn your money somehow. Um, <laughs> so for him to come off eight weeks and his whatever, how long he's played since his last game for Edinburgh, and then, you know, also his wedding, and just to walk into the big Calcutta Cup game, um, I think that's just a testament to him. And, you know, my... <laughs> everyone's got a nickname for him, but my missus calls him, um, you know, Captain America. He calls him a super soldier. And that's what I think he is. Like he's, I've never seen someone that big and that fast. And I know it's easy to watch it on TV and be like, um, Oh, you know, that guy's pretty good. But, you know, I've played in three different countries and I've never come across someone like him, you know, in, t- in terms of built athletically like him. And, you know, he's not as afraid of the big stage, obviously you know from the weekend and you know without him on the weekend I think we struggled to win so we really needed his input and his finishing ability and he's listening to everything I say I think he's just down the hall
3: <laughs> <laughs> on that note then what are the nicknames has he got he's got Captain America what else has he got
1: oh uh, people call him Big Jaw because his jaw comes all the way out to here yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's plenty, there's, there's plenty of them, Prince Charming and everything, but um,
3: Any bad ones? There's got to be a bad one somewhere. Has he got like hanging breath uh, or anything else? He's
1: running, he's running, he's running, don't say it, don't say it. <laughs> I don't know if you can, <laughs> there are some other ones but they're rated right R. <laughs> you can
3: say it on here, mate.
1: <laughs> oh, they call him, you know, Thor because it's not just because of how he looks but he's got the hammer. <laughs> yes, yes.
0: He has the full package,
2: we are well aware of that. He's blessed. <laughs> Damn, I hate the bloke. <laughs>
3: Well, let's just go back to that winning try then. Because one thing I wanted to chat about, Jim said it earlier, the skill level of the players. And I want to pick out one thing. Obviously, you're a back, you're a ball player. You can run over people. You can run around people. You put people through holes as well. But the hands on Richie Gray, when Max Malins tries to close the gate, I played with Jim Hamilton and second rows couldn't catch or pass back in the day. Now, <laughs> the skill level to do that at the 76th minute or whenever it was, when he's hit loads of scrums, loads of rocks, loads of
1: lineouts. how good is it to play with forwards that can handle Oh, mate, it makes the biggest difference. Um, You know, I think if you look around world rugby, you know, the teams that are really going forward are the ones with skillful forwards. You know, you look at Ireland, you look at the All Blacks, you know, they all have packs that can really handle the ball. And that makes interplay between the backs and the forwards really easy. And Richie's been doing that, you know, all season. Not like He's done it for Glasgow as well. You know, he's set up heaps of tries where he's just, you know, he's held his feet and and shown his soft hands and stuff like that. And yeah, I suppose... I don't know how old Richie is, but I know he's not young. Um, he's about 42. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, for him to truck 80 and be able to do that at the end of the game and still have, you know, the presence of mind to hold his feet and shovel that pass along is what proved to be the difference in the end.
2: What have you picked up from Wales, Sioni, having watched them? I don't know how much analysis you've done. We're recording on Monday. There'll obviously be a bit of recovery time. But what's the a kind of snapshot for the listeners that you've picked up on Wales?
1: My reflection anyways from playing those Welsh teams is they're gritty. You know, especially their forward pack—they're real, really gritty, and they don't go away. We were in this position last year where we beat England in the first game, and you know, we went to Principality and didn't get it done for whatever reason. And when I walked off the field that day, I remember thinking to myself, "How the hell did we lose that game?" There's a big talking point, you know, in camp this week that we're not going to let that happen again. I think that starts from not being overhyped from what happened on the weekend, and I think Gregor hit the nail on the head with his analysis of how we played on the weekend—is that we found a way to win, but ultimately. Um, he doesn't think that's one of our better performances and we can be even better and i think that's what's going to be needed against wales so what i see from wales is they're a gritty side with you know a good forward pack and experience back line and they've got that blitz defence that they've um used the, the sail coach but yeah we'll do our analysis this week and you know try and find out the best ways to try and break them down
3: one of the things i loved what you said earlier was about playing for your grandma right and obviously that's the link to scotland how did it all come about cuz i know you played australia 20s just give us a bit of a, a backdrop into into that and how it all ended up with Sione McTupolotu.
1: <laughs> I think Scotland have always been pretty wary that I had Scottish eligibility, you know, all the way from back when I was playing 20s. You know, I left Australia when I was 20, 21, which was a big decision at the time for me to go to Japan. And I think after I did that two and a half years in Japan, the choice for me was whether to go back to Australia and try and play for the Wallabies or come to Scotland and, um, you know, try and play for Scotland. And at the time Gregor reached out to me and my manager and, Basically said that they were very interested and saw a pathway for me to try and play for Scotland. And I think after speaking to Gregor, that's what kind of it all made it all seem real for me. I think if you asked me before I had the conversation with Gregor, my decision probably would have been to go go try and go home and play for the Wallabies. To be honest, that's just me being honest. Um, and then after speaking with Gregor, I suppose when he painted everything out for me, you know, with Glasgow, he seemed be my my ideal club and. Um, you know how I could kick on from there and with everything in the future I think I just kind of had a moment where I just saw everything you know ahead of me and um, I didn't want to regret it you know regret taking an opportunity it was probably the best decision of my life Um, you know taking that leap and moving so far away from home and you know obviously I'm really stoked that everything's worked out I I think I'm lucky in a way um, from getting the opportunity and then I think you know I've had a few coaches along the way here in Scotland that have believed in me. And um, I think that's all you need is a player sometimes is a coach that believes in you and then you kick on from there.
2: So that's class to hear because Gregor took a bit of stick just in the media from a lot of the fans around the Finn Russell, Gregor Townsend debacle that happened, which is now fixed. Clearly, we had Gregor on the podcast last week. So to hear you talk about Gregor in terms of convincing player of your quality to come over and represent Scotland and there's a number of these conversations happening right Gregor wants the very best for the team he's a winner and it means a lot right
1: yeah exactly and um obviously there's been a lot of stuff in the media with things that have happened at the Wallabies with Dave Rennie and you know Eddie Jones leaving and all that type of stuff but for me personally um you know I've, I've been on both sides of when a coach believes you and, and when a coach doesn't and you know I I, I think as well like a coach doesn't have to play you to believe in you, you know, also, you know, like I've I've missed out in selection at Scotland a couple of times as well, but I never felt that Greg didn't believe in me during those times. So in terms of Greg coaching me, he's given me the opportunity to come over here. And I think I've really developed over the last year, you know, under his guidance and obviously the guidance of Franco at, um, at Glasgow as well. And I think that just comes from two coaches that believe in you. And for me personally, I played the game from a pretty uh, I think a pretty emotional standpoint and when you got a coaches that believe in you you don't want to let them down 100%. Last thing
3: I'll ask you about the whole Scotland born and bred in Australia thing. Is it a bit cold in Glasgow compared to back <laughs> home? Have you you've obviously acclimatized right and all that stuff but you I reckon you're a boy that likes to layer up at training.
1: Oh yeah, I layer right up. I layer right up. Um yeah, it's different obviously. You know, it's weird because in Melbourne we kind of have the reputation of being the cold state in Australia. Yeah.
3: You know, 30 degrees cold, right?
1: and then you come over to Glasgow and it's like dark at three o'clock and getting five hours of sun every day. And when I say sun, I mean, it's just light, you know, like so (laughs) so yeah, it's quite funny though because all the photos that end up, you know, going on in the media of, of me playing in winter my family just comment on my pigmentation you know <laughs> like <laughs> and I always say how like, you really are a scott now because you're wide as anything
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so i've lost all my tan and stuff like that but um you know i'm used to it now i feel like it's my second year in the saddle now so you know everything i'm more comfortable in the team and i'm more comfortable with the weather and it's just yeah i just feel more comfortable with everything to be honest you look like you're absolutely loving it mate it's great to see
2: Yeah, Sione, class for that, mate. And uh, good luck at the weekend, mate. We can't wait.
1: Thanks, mate. Cheers, appreciate
0: it. Top man. Cheers, buddy. Thanks, Sione. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to
2: remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need. Have coverage options to protect the things you value most. File a claim right on the State Farm mobile
3: app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbour, State Farm is there. Top lad. Top lad. What a lovely bloke, eh? What about you grilling him on how Scottish he is? Yeah, you got to ask the question, haven't you, because I'm English. But no, I know he's Scottish. I knew it was his grandma, but you can hear it in his voice, can't you? And I interviewed a few Scottish boys pre-match, and they are talking. And I read the thing about Gregor saying you know, he's got too emotional for that game before. How does uh, someone born in Australia get emotional? But what a lovely bloke. I'd hate to play against him. I reckon he's hard as fuck, apart from when Freddie Stewart runs at him. But what a lovely, lovely Scottish gentleman we've had on the podcast, Jim. Thank you for getting him.
2: You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, big shout out to producer Rob. But I think the fact that the lads are doing well, things are good in camp. Things are good. And it all started with Gregor Townsend coming on. Every year he's going to come on, even if he's not a Scotland coach, just to (laughs) give the Scotland team... A big boost. So before the World Cup games against Ireland and South Africa, Gregor's has promised he's going to come on because we're a good luck charm.
0: It's quite interesting how proactive Gregor is in going out and getting the best players and how involved he's in that process, isn't it?
2: Yeah, people are not enjoying, and I say people, a lot of English fans, Duan van der Mover, oh, he's, he's not even Scottish. All right, lads. neither's Mako and Billy. They're Welsh. But yeah, Sione Tupolotu, Muxioni to Tupolotu, talked him up last week,
0: and he delivered. Warren Gatlin's big homecoming, guys. Thought he'd have a bigger impact, or...?
2: Well, Andy Rowe, what did I say to you about Ireland? What was the one word that I used that you could kind of put together with a, a line in the middle? What was the one word I used about Ireland?
0: Unplayable. Unplayable. That's the one
2: I... Goody, Goody, that's the one. Andy Rowe didn't get it, but Goody did, because he's my partner in crime. Unplayable. I mean... I watched that and it was absolute carnage. I mean, Warren Gatlin's press conference at the end, someone said to him, what happened? And he laughed. <laughs> Ridiculous, Ireland, in that first half. In that first 20 minutes, they were. I know Wales are, there was errors, there was a, some penalties and accuracy or whatever. Ireland were unplayable. The physicality, their ability, right, even off kickoff, like Finlay Bealham, your holiday mate, he's getting the ball in the twenty-two like 22 metres from his own try line, and he's trying to break the line. They, like, for me, it was grenade. Set the ball up and kick the ball as far as you can. Their carrying ability and their speed, their acceleration into contact, their footwork before, their physicality around the breakdown, they, they're they unplayable at the minute.
3: Yeah, and it's the detail, like Jim says, the detail around the carries, the clear outs, how quick the ball comes back. It's It's not fluke at all, is it? You see the little step before contact that gets a weak shoulder. Then you see someone pile driving into the ruck legally. You know, they're not committing massive numbers to the breakdown because they don't have to because it's so quick because they're winning that collision. And that's just a constant flow. So defenses don't have time to set and don't have time to muscle up and bar up and try and win the collision. So it becomes a constant. And they just all look so comfy in their own skin and like ball in hand. And a lot of the time I'm thinking, just. Let the backs have a go. They don't need to because they're just prodding and probing and winning the collision and winning the con. James Ryan, how good is he? You can name loads of them. Kayla Meele-Doris, ridiculous. Josh van der Fleer, ridiculous. But James Ryan as well stood out for me. They had a load of issues pre-match, didn't they, with a few boys pulling out and various different bits and bobs. But it's like, who cares? They can just do it. Whoever's in the squad, they play to a pattern that is damn hard to stop. And the Warren in factor, you expected that first 20 minutes to be loads of emotion and a big pick me up. But when you're 14 0 down after about three minutes, it's fucking longed out the office against the best team in the world, isn't it? And there weren't much in it. Like, actually,
2: when I went back and looked at the game, you think about, uh, all right, that massive start by Ireland, but they weren't far away. Like, a pick and go Jack Morgan. The tackle by Andrew Porter on the line is nothing short of world class. Like, I don't know who makes that tackle. Jack Morgan, we spoke about him last week. Like, we earmarked him as one of the players t- to watch. Like, any other game, he scores that try. Yeah. The pass, uh, the bigger through, the interceptor, James Lowe. Like, who saw James Lowe come in? I think any other team, you probably find an edge there. But it's just Ireland, they're that good at the minute. Like, they are that good that it's just everything's just clicking, clicking, clicking. And then one other thing that stood out as well, and Gatland didn't call this out after, I thought that yellow card to Liam Williams was ridiculously harsh. Really? I, yeah, I did, yeah. I don't know what he's meant to do. Shoulder to head, he's upright. Happened, yeah. It happened in a split second. He, he, sex didn't come out of nowhere. But that was the game changer. Not that they were going to win, but that was the nail in the coffin.
3: 100% yellow card. 100%. I, I actually sat there and thought, that could be red. You're arguing with me because you, you got hammered at the weekend. I know.
2: That's why. Well, it wasn't <laughs> hammered, was it? We lost again. Oh, it was. Oh, it was. <laughs>
0: All over the place. Wales well, should be encouraged by the fact they had chances, didn't they?
3: Yeah, they created a fair bit. That second half, you know, way more competitive and they did create chances, but Wales, if they can create the chances that they had and, you know, put things on a Scottish team, you could see them competing, but you've got to remember you're playing Ireland and like little moments like Jack Morgan getting held up by Andrew Porter. Yeah, you're playing the very, very best in the world. So they'll be encouraged by certain aspects. The big thing was their discipline, their errors in that first sort of 20 minutes that just set the tone for the game. And then you're chasing your tail against Ireland, you are going to get opportunities. Uh, I think they'll be focused on their start against Scotland. But like they said, it's the start of Warren Gatton's journey again. There's a lot of negativity around in Wales at the minute, from the Wru, from Delilah, from you know all the stuff that's gone on and the performances in November. We all got excited, but let's not forget that they've played the best team in the world. Yeah, It will take time for Gats to, to make changes and bed things in. But also, I saw a stat, but nine of the starting 15 players that won the Grand Slam back in whenever it was under Gats, which meant that he's still going for the older generation and there isn't that influx of of youngsters.
2: I thought Joe Hawkins at 12 looked very good. Yeah. Hitting the line. Good player. Yeah, he was good. The partnership with North worked. Rio Dyer looked good. Liam Williams weren't meant to play. I know they were shifting around, but I think you're right, Goody. It's one of them where, where is the evolution? Is it a short-term fix for Gats? Don't know, we'll find out, won't we? If they beat Scotland again, which I don't think they will.
0: Imagine. Will he make sweeping changes this week, do you think? Or does he send the same team up to Edinburgh to put things right? Well, Wynne-Jones is out, isn't he? Alan
2: Wynne-Jones is out with a uh, concussion. He's failed his HIA, so he's definitely out. I don't think they do.
3: How many changes can they make, effectively?
2: Well, the thing is, you've got as well, you've got one of your best players in Tommy Raffel on the bench and one of your best players at seven in Tipperick. I don't know, I could potentially see, this is a big shout, I could see Jack Morgan going to eight and Rafael and Tipperick playing in the back row. No Fallatown. No Fallatown. Uh,
3: the other one I heard, and people are calling for, is to drop Dan Bigger. I thought Biggs played well.
2: I yeah. thought that he made a few mistakes, but I thought he played really well in
3: some parts. I love Dan Bigger. I'd never drop him. I'm
2: not just saying that because we love him. Like, is it the up and under, s- some of the passes that he was fizzing? I know it. it maybe it was the intercept pass, but yeah. man, I, I, thought, I thought he played well. I, genuinely, I'm not just saying that. I, I, like, if not him, then who? They've got Owen Williams, who's been carving up at Osprey's, he was on loan, wasn't he, I think, from Worcester because they folded. He was at Gloucester for a bit. He was at Leicester for a bit. You've got to go bigger. You've got to go bigger.
3: Yeah, Come on. I think what he'll do, and I think Steve Walter could do the same thing, is you can't just all of a sudden change eight or nine bodies just because you want to see people play or look for that miracle combination. You need some stability and, and belief and familiarity around what you're doing. So I, I can't see him making many changes. There might be the odd one. Jim's one will be quite interesting whether Rafael comes in, but it's a big thing for him to drop. that would create waves in Wales, would not it? But Warren
0: Gatler makes big
2: decisions, as we know.
3: Mate, Warren G ain't scared.
2: Yeah, regulate.
0: Italy were impressive, weren't they? France still got the bonus point win, but Italy played pretty well. One thing on that, Andrew,
2: and now you are a GMO. You are very close to the referees. What... In the Slippersville, is Matt Carley doing refereeing a French and Italian game when he speaks zero lingo of either, Not even like kick a ball or not even like...
3: <laughs> What's kick is a ball? German?
2: I, well, yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> just something. Just do something other than English. Like, he could have just given them something. Sank. Sank. Five-man line Just say one
3: French word. Just say ciao. Say au revoir. Yeah, but then the, <laughs> the problem with it is there are some very good referees that speak French. You know They've made a massive effort to speak the lingo around the European game and talk about the Champions Cup. You know, big French teams are going to be involved in the latter stages. So they've put the effort into that. What they haven't done is necessarily put a load of effort into Italian because there's only two teams.
2: And they thought they were gone. They were praying that they'd go.
3: <laughs> I think they've been learning Georgian, haven't they, from what I hear? I'm joking. It's difficult because if, if you had a referee in there that was just speaking French, you could then argue... That he wasn't being fair to the Italians because he's only speaking French. So there needs to be a conscious effort. And it amazes me that you go down the line of speaking French, and, you know, Wayne Barnes does it really well, Luke Pierce does it exceptionally well as well you've got to be doing it in Italian as well if you're going to referee an Italian Mm. game. So they've probably gone down the line of, well, I'm only going to speak English so that I'm not benefiting one team or the other by only speaking their language. Matt Carley's
2: fluent in French.
3: Well, he is, but basically, I can't be asked to learn Italian. That's what he's saying, if he speaks just French. So I, I understand that. And, you know, again, it goes back to what I said about the referees they need paying pay more pay him more they'll do more they'll learn Italian and
0: off you go yeah Sean Edwards didn't seem too happy about the refereeing interpretations did he
3: uh, in 20 years of me being involved in rugby union <laughs> I've never been penalised so much by a referee on defensive side of the game not up here but you know don't ask me about Italy against England next week because I'm not going to comment on it but I am England love too much um, he was raging when he <laughs>
2: I thought a couple of the calls against France were bad. I thought the olive on yellow card, I thought that a the hooker... For dragging down them mall. You look at it, it breaks out. It's going towards the line. That's a yellow card every day of the week. I wanted Italy to win, by the way. I thought I thought it would have been good for the championship. So uh, I thought it was a harsh yellow. I'll be honest. I'm not just saying that to cause controversy. Uh, there was a turnover by Taufanua, the second row replacement who came on, where Carly said he was on his hand... He didn't, it was a turnover, which almost cost them the game. But like Italy, you talk about big moments in the game, you've got, we're going to call him Tommy Allen. If he would have nailed it five metres to the try line, then we'll call him Tommaso Allen. There was a couple of big kicks that he just had a stinkers with that could have made all the difference.
3: I agree with you, but what I will say on it, and credit where it's due, the kick that led to that penalty try... Yes. Was, was a worldie of a kick. Was unreal. Yeah, it was a worldie. But
2: that shows your difference, does it
3: not? But you've got to bring in the fact that they probably scored or had that penalty try on the yellow card down to his kick. So you berate him for the one, and, and, and rightfully so. The one, the very last one nearly went backwards, I think. And it is a nerve-wracking thing, don't get me wrong. I've been there where you're thinking, right, five metres, and then someone comes in your head and you go, don't put it dead. And all you think is, fucking hell, don't put it dead. Who said that to me? So I'll go even further away from the try line now. But it was brilliant from Italy. I thought some of their players, Brex in the centres and Marisi were outstanding. Capuzzo, my God, what a player. You know, Ferrari and Fischetti, the, the props, I thought they did some damage at scrum time. Our old mate, Seb Negri. I think they'll be, you don't want to say, oh, you know, the, the plucky Italians and all this stuff. They'll be so frustrated because that was a game that they could, should, and probably would have won on another day. You can only credit... Kieran Crowley and the work he's done. Let's not forget they beat Wales last year. Australia in the autumn. Yeah, they're a much improved team. They've got good young players coming through, and I'm genuinely looking at this game this weekend now for England. I expecting them to win. I <laughs> know, oh, but this this is a proper Italian outfit, isn't it? That can play. It's not a it's not a big team by any means, but they can scrummage well. They shifted the French team around a lot. They had some like big ball players and good carriers. France's discipline was off and I'm with you Jim on some of those calls there was a couple that were wrong but 18 penalties France gave away you've got to credit Italy for a lot of that they're a good team Italy aren't they yeah they are what did you say Jim if I can kick him out of the six nations because I can't win a game <laughs> well, that's what you said never
2: never would say that I'm you friends did. with the great Sergio say, dig it out of the archives if it is I'll eat me out But the one thing they need to work on, Goody, is their exits because that relationship between Stephen Varney and Tommy Allen, I know Garbisi's injured at the minute, he's he's not far away, but if you can't exit or you exit the way they did, like they had a breakdown and Varney's passing the ball back to Tommy Allen and they had like a a minus 10 metre gain. You don't even call it a gain. Like a minus 10 metre not gain. They need to get that right. So they're kicking game and we mentioned the two kicks at the end, but they're attacking Ability, they're brilliant to watch. Love watching them. Love Lamaro as captain. I love the passion that they play with. Like you look at the in the twenties results and stuff. They weren't far away from France there as well. Some big results last year. Italy. Who knows where they'll be? I mean, Brian O'Driscoll said it best.
0: We've only been waiting twenty years. And uh, they finally arrived, but I'm happy to wait the 20 years. Well, we'll get your predictions for the weekend with the Fanzo Pint Predictor. It's not too late to sign up. Every week and every game gives you a chance to win a free pint of Guinness. So download the Fanzo app and enter the league code Pod. Well, Jim's ahead at the moment. Three correct guesses last week. Predictions? Yeah, it's not
2: about me. It's not about me. It's um, just a couple of easy ones in there, weren't there, <laughs> that were just a given, really.
3: Scotland-Wales, what's happening, lads? Scotland should win that. If they can repeat the performance that they had at the weekend defensively and yeah, ball in hand, they'll get more opportunities against Wales. They'll have more possession and they can be equally as dangerous with the opportunities they had against England. I think Scotland win this by 10.
2: Oh, I was going to say Scotland by nine. but You might choke though, Jim. You might choke. Well, you know what? They are a bogey team for us and we struggle against Wales, but
0: I'm backing it now. Hashtag back in blue. I'm going to go Scotland by 12. Probably one of the closer ones to predict. England, Italy. What's happening there? <laughs> Even
3: Andy Rose jumping on the bandwagon. I think England win this. Uh, you know, Italy. Obju- you think? Yeah, well, we've never lost We've never lost to Italy. Have you ever lost to Italy, Jim? Loads of times. Yeah, but
2: look, it's the fact that you said, I think, that is what we're calling it here, Andrew. We've never seen a more flawed man. Don't blame Dublin. That was nearly a week ago. <laughs> it's the alcohol.
3: But it wasn't just Dublin, it was Thursday, Friday and Saturday, but just don't tell the missus, all right? Yeah. Yeah, England will win. I think we end up winning by 15. Ooh. Maybe we're going to see a really excited team and we're really excited to watch this game. You know, really excited to get the shirt back on and really excited to get better at training every week. Italy will come and and give us a rough ride. If Capuzzo can attack the way he does, and he did at the weekend, if he gets a lot of free ball, he'll cause damage. England by 15.
2: I was going to say England by 18, but imagine if Italy run them close. There'll be a few tweed jacket and boat shoes being thrown onto the side of the picture. Ireland, France. Ireland, comfortably, I think. France were poor at the weekend. They really were. They
3: weren't great. Their discipline was poor. France will improve no end this week. You know They'll have the bit between their teeth in terms of what Sean Edwards. Imagine being coached by Sean Edwards this week. When he was fucking raging on fucking quest. I'm not answering anything on Italy <laughs> against England because I'm not coaching, but England have way too much, by the way. France will be a lot better, but Ireland by 10.
0: Well, Jim, at the live shows, it was a mall and brawl stall, a pop-up shot. How'd it go? Yeah, we sold loads,
2: absolutely loads. How many? Three. Three, Three.
0: Yeah, we go. there we go. I can't believe this,
3: Jim. You've launched a product, right, partially based on my smell after I put my aftershave on, and I won't tell people what I wear, but you're talking honey and tobacco, right?
2: Dark honey. Specifics.
3: You haven't even sent me any. Oh, please, I need I need something to make myself feel better, Jim. England lost. I've had copious amounts of alcohol over the last week. I need to pick me up. Send me some more and goo. Well,
2: you can't drink it, so that's probably a good thing and that is where the benefits will start for you, Andrew. <laughs> I was hoping at the live show in London, you'd walk past the stall and you'd buy yourself some beard oil, shower gel, and moisturising cream, but you were that red, you were like, right, I need to get back to bed and go through the roof. But one thing I should say on, on it, because Andrew, you know, I've been working on the Maul and Brawl behind the scenes for a while. Andy Rowe, you actually bought some, even though it exploded in the bag, but we don't tell people the details of that. Blame Beck, blame Beck. But it is ready to go and it's gone down really well. So I thank everyone who's already ordered. You can order them now, maulandbrawl.com. It's for men that maul, but also women that brawl see it was just that added that tagline on just because women can use beard or beck uses it anyway
0: right let's finish things off with the good the bad and the ugly
3: yeah plenty of good this weekend not from england but from other areas of the game let's start off in france and not the french team there was the top 14 at the weekend and poe get a mention the good this week Pooh normally but poe this week they beat Racing 92 38 points to 19 with dan robson scoring the bonus point try towards the death. So a uh, big shout out to them. Leon, 20 points to 16 winners at Larochelle, Big win for them. Perpignan, get yeah, to mention the goud as well. They were 24-22 winners at Breve in the basement battle. So uh, massive shout out to those boys. Steering clear of international rugby for a moment. We're going to give a shout out to the Stormers and our mate, John Dobson. One game in the URC this weekend, they went up to the Sharks and absolutely dominated my old team. So a big shout out to John Dobson, the Stormers, 46 points to 19, winners at the Shark Tank. Let's get into it then. International rugby is all about the good now. Ange Capuzzo gets a mention, 12 carries, 94 metres gained, three tackle breaks and a try, worldy of a finish as well. So well done to Ange Capuzzo. What else was good? Ireland, their first win in Cardiff for a decade, an outstanding performance. As Jim Hamilton has said many times, they looked unplayable. So they get a mention in the good. But the winners this week can only go to one team and one man. We found out he's got three legs. He scored an absolute world of a try. Duan van der McMurver <laughs> and Scotland get the good this week. He had eight carries, 90 metres, 11 tackle breaks and two tries. World of a finish for his one in the first half and a brilliant finish to win it at the end. And Scotland get the good this week. Back-to-back wins at HQ. They have won the Calcutta Cup for the last three years, and that makes them own the Calcutta Cup for five out of the last six years. So when Jim Hamilton played, they were shit. They could never get their hands on it. But now you lay the foundations, Jim. This Scotland outfit or a proper outfit. And as you said on ITV, Scotland have England's number, and that's why Scotland and Duane van der Merwe get the good this week.
2: Just lastly, do you not think there's an irony that the Calcutta Cup is an elephant? on it and that Duran Van Der Mover got mad in the match as the elephant man you know, you, it's a lovely segue it just who knew who knew
3: eh who knew bad few bits of bad Rassing 92 who loses 38-19 to Poo no one I didn't see it yeah well they did so they, who saw that they get a mention. the bad sticking with France uh, and their real discipline 18 penalties not all of them should have been penalties but They were raging. Well, Sean Ebers was raging after the game, so they'll have to work on that for this week. Staying with discipline, and Andrew Porter, as good as Ireland were and as good as his try-saving tackle was, gave away six penalties. That was Jim Hamilton's stats, that is. Most teams try and keep it under 10 as a collective. Jim Hamilton wanted to keep it under nine, personally.
2: I was happy with six. Yeah, I didn't flinch when you said that. Yeah,
3: Andrew Porter, six penalties in the game, so that was pretty bad. England's Calcutta Cup run gets a mention in the bad this week. Just can't win it, boys. Uh, it's
2: 2023. A lot of people in transition. Exactly. So fine.
3: Uh, but the bad this week goes to Welsh Rugby for the shit show off the field, but also the opening 20 or so minutes. Warren Gatland, we thought we were going to see a massive bounce in performance. But that opening half for Wales is why they get the bad. 27 points to three down at halftime. Imagine Warren G in the changing rooms. Not a good start for Wales and Welsh Rugby in general. So that's why they get the bad this week. Ugly. Only one bit of ugly that I found this week. There weren't any... Real red cards, or yellows, really, that were worthy of it, were they, Jim, over the weekend? But I found one. Of course I did. Josiah Rezungi, who is a Fijian. He was sent off for mindlessly charging into the Swede of Paul Jedrasiak for cast against Claremont in the defeat towards the end of the game. So um, don't be doing that to Jedrasiak, Swede on Swede. Just not having it, Jim. So uh, Josiah Rezungi, you're getting the ugly.
0: Thanks, Gertie. And you guys have got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, don't you?
3: Yeah, a massive shout-out to Pennybank Tigers, they're celebrating their centenary season with a special fixture against Neath at the Knoll. It's going to be a huge day for the club and hopefully we'll see some of you at the live show in a few weeks in Cardiff on the 23rd of Feb. So good luck to Pennybank Tigers.
2: Yeah, we'll see you at the live show. Can he we pal? I got another big shout out to the 1988 Scottish Schools Under-18s rugby squad. They toured New Zealand, which included the great Doddy Ware and they're reuniting after the sad passing of our friend, The guys are flying in from Australia, Singapore, Canada, France, Gibraltar to take part in the 88K mix of bike and hike in March, finishing at Murrayfield at the Italy Six Nations match. Good luck, guys, and if you want to help them out, you can donate and just search for Doddy88 on Just Giving.
3: Yeah, and finally, a big shout-out to everyone at Construction Sport. They're doing a HS2 walk over the next three days, Going from Birmingham to London, down the HS2, 140-mile walk to raise money for construction worker Martin Guest's wife and the two kids. Unfortunately, Martin lost his battle with cancer in December and was a key part of the construction sport family. Go on to gofundme.com forward slash F forward slash HS2 Trek to donate what you can, please.
0: Thanks, Gertie. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Producer Robin. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to get along to one of our live shows. Just go to therugbypod.com to get your tickets.
2: Rugby spot. Spotter pod, 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 pod.